This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everybody. Elon here. We've got a special bonus midweek episode of Keeping Carlson for you. I was lucky enough to get an interview with Chris Wassel, senior fantasy hockey writer for Dubber Hockey, daily fantasy writer for Fanvice. He's all over the place. You probably follow him on Twitter at Chris Wassel DFS. He prepared and presented his top 10 fantasy hockey projection blunders going into this season. So it was a lot of fun going through this countdown. I think you're going to like it. A couple quick notes. One, there's some poor audio at times. We recorded over Skype, and so you know how sometimes Skype is. Also, this interview was scheduled for a half an hour. We ended up talking for 90 minutes, like almost an hour and a half. I probably could have cut it a bit down in the edit, but I thought, why not? We don't have another episode coming out till Sunday, so I guess you guys hopefully won't mind a longer bonus episode. So enjoy the show, enjoy the interview, and we'll catch you with a regular episode this Sunday. You could listen live, keepingcarlson.com slash live, this Sunday, 8 p.m. EST. Enjoy the interview. Special midweek treat for you listeners of Keeping Carlson. I've got with me Chris Wassel. This guy is does a lot of things. You probably know who he is. You probably follow him on Twitter. He's a senior fantasy hockey writer for Dauber Hockey, daily fantasy writer for Fanvice. He's a beat writer for the New Jersey Devils. And I just found out he's in 26 fantasy leagues. So I think this guy knows what he's talking about. Welcome to the show, Chris. Uh, thank you very much. How are you doing? I heard actually while you were saying that, like there was some scratching or something. Oh, you know who that is? Wait a minute. That would be none other than my giant 160-pound Alaskan Malmute. Yep. So you'll you'll hear her paw at the floor, and actually it is loud enough because of the wood floor in this part of the house that you can hear what is called a scratch echo. Ah, okay. It, it just echoes across across the entire room. So do you want to say hi again, or do you want to just leave it, including the part where you introduced your dog? Uh, that's fine. <laughs> okay. People know the dog probably probably as much as me. Really? How so? Really? My fi- my fiance and I have kind of a joint Twitter account with the in- with the Injury Ninja Twitter account. So what'll happen occasionally is we forget to post on the right account. So a few times, a random picture of a dog came following a season-ending knee injury to somebody. Mm. (laughs) And they're like, the dog is so cute. Yeah, my fantasy hockey team is screwed. But that dog is adorable. (laughs) Well, that's nice. You sort of give some bad news, but then sandwich it with some cute pictures of dogs. Speaking of injuries, I guess, so I didn't realize this. So you were behind the Injury Ninja Twitter account? Yes. It is a secret, and it's not so much a secret. Um, we, we had a guy as a joke. We, we even tried to start an argument <laughs> on Twitter with pseudo Twitter accounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a guy on there called the suspension samurai for when Shanahan just started suspending everybody and he just came up with it. 
it was at the time. I suspected it. And then I just asked one day, I was like, you behind this account? And he's like, a good friend of mine. He's like, yes. <laughs> I was like, I knew it. The sentences sounded too familiar even. And he's like, really? It's like, well, you, when you know enough beat writers and you know how they write, generally on Twitter, they start out even writing their first sentences the same way so you can develop a pattern. And he's just like, fair enough. Yeah, well, there you go. I guess you spend enough time on Twitter. You get to know the writing patterns of the different accounts. That's pretty impressive. And I guess you must have been pretty busy lately with your Injury Ninja account. Three huge injuries yesterday. Yeah, can anybody believe this seriously? I mean, look, yeah, I'll, I'll skip the one just because it doesn't involve me as much. But the Taylor Hall one was weird just because <sighs> Sean Shapiro, who writes for NHL.com for the Dallas Stars, alerted me to something. He's like, Taylor Hall doesn't look right in practice. And I'm like, no. I was like, it's not the knee, is it? And he's like, all right, how'd you know? And I'm like, his knee was a little bit sore on Saturday. Nobody really thought of it. It's kind of game sort of game wear and tear, and you just put it off to the side and you don't think about it. I was like, okay, so what is wrong with the knee? He's like, well, he's move. it moves laterally. It moves up and down. I'm like, that's a good sign. But he really just went off real fast. And I'm like, nah, I hope it's not what I think it is. Uh, it's like, is it a ligament, te- you know, a ligament tear? And he's like, I don't think so. And I was like, well, it's probably the, the meniscus because it's off the same knee that he hurt three years ago in Edmonton. So when, you know, he told me later, it's like, yeah, they're flying him back for an MRI. And I'm like, for precautionary reasons. And the, the old mantra in, in any any writing business is precautionary reasons about six or seven times out of ten means not precautionary oh. they pick they picked up something uh and unfortunately uh, hall does have a partially torn meniscus it's not a full repair it's just eh, we'll just go in clean out some stuff you know mend it a little bit few weeks you'll be fine um that's not so bad Steven Stankos, on the other hand, depending on who you believe from from the Tampa beat writers, and the one thing is definitely true, uh, Steve Eiserman and Steven Stankos were reported to be seeking second opinions, which usually is a bad sign. Is that the same as precautionary reasons? You should take that as like a bad sign? Yeah, step above precautionary. There's bad, and then there's really bad. <laughs> And then there's second opinion bad. <laughs> oh, no. Then there's second opinion bad, which usually means if Stankos is basically in your fantasy league right now and you have the option to put him out anywhere, obviously you have to do it. Um, if you're in a few leagues where IR spots are not an option, do not cut him yet just in case. Don't do it. Um, I've seen this too many times where – it was thought that a player was going to be out six weeks. See Travis Hamanek, who was supposed to be out at least six weeks with a broken hand slash finger slash thumb, and he missed a week. So just just be sure. I mean, look, this looks like a at least a several week injury at minimum, potentially several months. Uh, just just wait a couple days. You're, you're not going to lose any fantasy hockey sleep over it. That's for sure. Well, I mean. I guess it's some, some, 
if I had Steven Stamkos, I'd be losing some fantasy hockey sleep, I think. But yeah, we'll, we'll obviously discuss on our like big show on Sunday, like the impact and like who benefits and who loses. Like Brian and I were talking about Travis Zajac back to the Hall injury. Like we were talking about Zajac being a good guy to pick up since he's on the top power play and top line with Taylor Hall. That goes out the window. The excitement about Severson and with Tampa Bay, though, I guess the one thing is like. They never stick with any lines. So I don't even know who benefits and who gets hurt yet from Stamkos being injured. If there's anybody that probably would benefit a little bit, it may just be Tyler Johnson. It may just be auxiliary effects. It will it will hurt a guy like Vadislav Nemestikov a little bit initially. It's going to it's going to impact Nikita Kucherov briefly. I wouldn't be surprised if John Cooper reunites the triplets even for a time. But right now it's all speculative because we don't really know how long he's out. But my gut feeling is at some point you see the triplets reunite it because they have to find a way to get Andres Palat going. Mm-hmm. Palat has been awful all year, unfortunately. A lot of it's been bad luck, but some of it has been kind of his own sort of doing. So I got to think that's where they go. I got to think that's where the power play unit number one will be eventually. Just give it a little bit of time. Yeah, it's been like all over the place. Like, like Phil Pula and Killorn, Braden Point, like Nemesnikov, like you mentioned, they've all had time on that on that top power play. So we'll have to see now how it shakes out. I, I feel like just don't bank on anything right now and see how things shake out over the next few weeks. Yeah. Tyler Johnson's interesting, though, just because he could become the top line center. But anyways, OK, we actually do have a plan of what we were going to talk about in this interview. It wasn't supposed to be just generic hockey chat. But it was, I got into your resume and then it got so exciting. We went down this rabbit hole, but let's come back to the top. So the plan for today is you are going to be presenting bad projections from the preseason. Basically, you've gone and looked and found the 10 worst projections. Is this from like one site or projections from all over the place? This is from actually several sites. It's kind of fun to look at some of these. Uh, but I, I, I went far more evil in a sense and may have even put my foot in my mouth um let's see there might be one from dauber hockey there might be one from espn there might be a few from the sports forecaster you know just a just a general mix to give people an idea of what may or may not be going on okay well i'm glad you have a few different sources just so that we're not like hammering someone too hard so i guess let's get started the 10 we're top 10 lists people love this stuff right this is what, what's all over the internet nowadays. Now we're getting into it on Keeping Carlson with Chris Wassel. So the top 10 worst projections going into this season as it looks one month in. Are you going to start at the worst, I guess? Or are you going to start at number 10? We have to start at number 10, of to course. be fair. I mean, look, all right. There are, we, we preface to say this, but there are a couple Bruins on this list. So don't, Boston fans, don't shoot shoot the messenger necessarily <laughs> but we we had to do this number 10 actually i couldn't believe this actually as i was starting the research just going through i i had to put him in simply because i couldn't believe how low his points were at this point in the year i actually put patrice berger on at number 10 i know it's early but if anybody had told me at the start of the year that patrice berger would only have four points through 13 games I I would I would have said no. I would have said you you've got to be kidding me. I would have laughed at you. I, I hmm. probably if he was on my fantasy team, I would be saying really bad things about people right now. But interestingly enough, Sports Forecaster was on to something. They had actually dropped Bergeron down to fifty two points this year. Wow, and that's after last year where he like broke out. He had sixty eight points last season. Sixty eight points last year. Uh, ESPN was a little higher, I think at about 62, 
Uh, Yahoo is around 60. Fantrax is a little bit interesting because their projections come from some of the other Roto sites. Uh, a couple guys I talked to, Neil, Neil Parker, who used to run the fake hockey uh, site, and it's actually the site that I help co-run co now, said something interesting to the effect that I wouldn't be shocked if Bergeron barely breaks 50 points this year, even with guys like David Pasternak and Brad Marchand on his line. He, he may be more the guy that creates space for these guys than gets points. And so far, it's kind of come to fruition. I mean, look, Bergeron has two goals on almost 50 shots. Right, which would make me think it's like by low time, like he's just having some bad luck. I mean, this is extreme by low time. I can't see this continuing. Um, his power play numbers are even better, which everything should indicate that this is going this is going to be uh, a short-term thing. At some point, he's going to break out. And I think it will be when they start playing within the division even more. Um, and I know they've had a couple division games, but I think once they get down to, you know, Buffalo's, the Toronto's, play them a few more times, et cetera. And then when they go out, Obviously, they go out west and they face those wonderful defenses in Arizona mm. and Calgary, who's more decimated than I can count. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll mix that in as well because they're not off this list either. Um, <laughs> OK, so then are you saying that this is a bad projection? Like, it sounds like you're giving credit to the people who projected closer to 50 points. But then I guess there's some people who projected really, really high. Exactly. I mean, we have to point out the good and the bad because obviously, look, projections are not an exact science. We like to think they are. Um, even with all all the great advanced stats that are out there at our disposal now, we still get these wrong. Either they're too high or too low, or we get close to close to right. Uh, but in this case, yeah, yeah, the sports forecaster may be right. But what if, God forbid, say. Bergeron goes on a 50-point and 40-game tear, which is entirely possible. You know, with this first line in Boston, they could feasibly do it. So, you know, it's a little early, but definitely compared to some of the higher projections right now, Bergeron had to be mentioned. We 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 couldn't we couldn't leave him out at least. Yeah, that's fair. It's a good it's a solid number 10. I think that it's a bit too early to completely write off Bergeron and I love like you said the shot rates and the power play time and the line mates, those are all good. But also it, it like it makes sense. Like last two seasons ago he had 55 points. Then last season he had 68. If people were projecting him to be like 68 again, maybe they should have been more like in the middle of those two, maybe closer to 60. Exactly. And that's that's something that a lot of the reasons why you see magazines going later and later with their projections now is to try to account for these little tweaks and differences. And also in this, in the case of this year, you had the world cup of hockey, which added another two weeks to your, to your uh, training camp and preseason. And I still maintain that some players it helped and some players it definitely didn't. And Bergeron, probably one of the players that it, the world cup of hockey hurt. Well, did, what, didn't he get injured? Didn't he literally get hurt? He did literally get hurt. It was, you know, it was minor, but still it was enough that it's thrown him off. And now he's had, he had a little bit more of groin issues, et cetera. And he just really hasn't quite gotten it fully going just yet. It's, it's getting better. It's just not there yet. Well, I, I just actually made a trade offer in one of my leagues offering Marcia so for Bergeron 
and the guy wrote back no, but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep pushing. Maybe see if I could throw in a sweetener or something. See if I can make that happen. You got you got to prod at least a little bit. <laughs> All right, so I'm excited to hear number nine now. This is great. Okay, we got we got a little me with these. Uh, for for people listening in, we did mix in p- players that were acquired and some players that were free agents as well. Okay. It wasn't it wasn't enough just to have players. Now we had to we had to make the list sort of multi layered for everybody. Uh, but this this one's gonna this one's gonna spark a little bit of debate. Maybe it won't. But we actually put Aaron Eckblad at number nine, and the reason why is. Other than uh, arguably, other than Jonathan Marchessault on that team, and maybe Vincent Trocheck to an extent, Florida has massively underperformed offensively. Mm-hmm. You look at all their possession numbers. You look at their expected goals for. You look at their scoring chances. Even those two should be higher than they are. Um, but I, I started researching more into this, and I was trying to trying to dig into well, why. Why is this so bad? And I came up with one funny, quirky little answer. And it's the dumbest one, and I don't know why I didn't think of this sooner. Keith Yandel is actually unintentionally stealing some of Ekblad's thunder for whatever reason. I don't, there's not a scientific reason for this, folks. I wish there was. Mm -hmm. But it just, the playmaking that Ekblad had displayed last year, especially late in the season, gone. Those numbers are gone. And what do you mean by Keith Yandel stealing his thunder? Basically, Ekblad, in a sense, now is sh- is sh- arguably shooting the puck a little bit more. Um, that's picked up. His chances have picked up a little bit. But what has become unexpected is the fact that the assists aren't there. You have a player in Ekblad who has three goals on the season in 16 games. Yeah, that's good for a defenseman. That's solid. It's right around. It's right around his career numbers. It's not too far off. He has no assists, none, zero. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, he has a couple power play goals. I I understand that. That that's great. But he has nothing else. He's also missing the net a little bit more than last year. But again. That's another number that you can't really say, oh, well, he's missing the net more from year to year. If you did a three-year average, or I would say two and a fifth, because he's a fifth of the way through this season, his numbers actually aren't far off at all. There's not that much noticeable as far as a difference other than, okay, he's playing a minute and a half more a game. He's blocking he's he's blocking a few he was blocking a few less shots per game. You can't even do that because he's about right in the same neighborhood. Hits wise, okay, maybe there's a slight jump there to two hits a game, but that's not that significant. I mean, that's the problem. There's not really one set way other than the fact that the player that you just tried to trade for Patrice Bergeron is partially a reason, and that would be Jonathan Marchessault. Marchessault is more of a slashing player. Ekblad is not a slashing defenseman. He never was. He's never confused to be one. And he's another guy, yes, who had a minor injury in training camp and had a little bit of a scare, and he's just really, he hasn't, it's it's like the equivalent of you have a pairing and one guy passes and one guy shoots. And 
Ekblad used to do that a lot. And when you go through the projections, a lot of these are well into the 40s for points mm-hmm. for both Ekblad and Yandel. I mean, I, I had to look through a few of them just for fun. Because I, I like I like to do I like to always look at a bunch of them during during the uh, even the season just to look back and go all right what did I screw up on that people will will tweet at me and go well Chris you said this guy's gonna get this many points and this many block shots and this many hits and it didn't happen okay well for example I'm not the only person that screwed up here <laughs> most places have him at around forty five to fifty points this one's this one's definitely a blunder because. He's on pace for about 15 to 20 points right now. Now, that's not going to happen, obviously. And if it does, uh, oh, Florida's in a little, Florida's in some trouble here. Um, but I have to admit, I'm I'm worried. I don't see him hitting 45 to 50. Yeah, I feel like at this point, it would be really hard for him to get 45, 50 points. He'd have to put up like a higher pace to make up for the fact that he's had this big slump to start the season. I'm curious to know, like, do you think this is, Ekblad's fault like he's you're saying he has the right number of goals that we should expect he just doesn't have the assists maybe we should blame the other Florida players who aren't scoring maybe he's making good passes but the Barkovs and the Yagers aren't converting like they were last year yeah that's the big thing with this um Barkov and Yager are just not where they were last year look Yager's groin is giving him a ton of issues he's been he's been off oft injured probably since training camp and it's affected his speed. It's affected the ability for him to cycle. And it has an effect. And you have two guys that are big and prodding like Barkov and Yager. And you put them with a really fast guy in Marsha Show. And then you have two guys on your defense. One is a slashing guy that typically is more of a playmaker. And you have Ekblad, who is kind of more of a hybrid guy who has a Excellent shot. I mean, he has a 95 to 100 mile per hour slap shot uh, that people don't often realize. He's being expected to shoot more, but the assists aren't there because he's not getting the... Look, guy, guy like Yager and a guy like Barkov should have at least 11 to 13 points by now. You would think, uh, ba- based on the way Florida's constructed. And neither one is really all that close. I think, if I remember this right, Barkov has eight points and Yager has six. Yeah, not great. <laughs> that's a drop. That's a drop off for early in the season. Again, look, I know there's still 65, 65, 66 games left. Unfortunately, you're getting to a point where you look at a guy like Yager and go, "Hmm, is this it?" You don't want to say it, but it, is this it? And you're looking at a guy like Barkov. Is Barkov going to be in an almost season-long slump or something so long, uh, say like Nicholas Lidstrom about a decade ago, where he spent the first 40 games with like eight or nine points, and then, yes, he did pick it up a little bit, but it impacted his t- entire season. I remember, I remember this well. It was a season that he was actually uh, – Lidstrom was projected for 80 points, and he finished with only 46 and it took him, he his final 39 games, he had 37 points to get there. I don't see that from a guy like Ekblad, unfortunately. 
That's a bummer. I guess, like, if you wanted to be optimistic, you could say maybe when Huberdo comes back, like, Jokinen just came back. Maybe once they have the full healthy lineup from last year, maybe then they could recreate it. But I'm with you, like, at this point, especially for Ekblad and maybe for Yager also, it's hard to have too much faith in them meeting those projections. Like, I guess at this point, probably more like 30 points for Ekblad would be pretty nice. (laughs) I don't know if he's going to be hitting the 45. Yeah, I don't, I don't see 45 to 50. When Huberto, probably not back till January or even perhaps February. Wow, okay, yeah, so can't hang your head on that. All right, so two, I guess this whole episode's going to be bummers, right? Because they're all slumping players, basically. Who Are you, are, are you going to give any projections of people that were projected, like, too low? Of course. We'll, we'll, we'll throw in a few, I, pr- I promise. All right, yeah, because I don't want to be depressed all night. So, okay, who's number eight on the list? Okay, number eight, also from the Boston Bruins. Yeah, Tory Krug, folks. Yeah, saw that uh, coming. Look, I saw it last year, and I couldn't believe like the three point two percent shot rate that was dipping even late in the season. Uh, his last thirty games last year, I think his shot percentage was under two per two two percent. <laughs> There's no words for that. None. I, look. I understand that defensemen, unfortunately, have this sort of thing where, yeah, we shoot a little lower because we, well, A, we try to hit the net and don't half the time. And it's true. Uh, the average defenseman, hit, average top four defenseman actually hits the net about 48% of the time. Okay, so less than half. Less than half. Uh, your top end guys, obviously, a little bit more. Um, your guys like Shea Weber may be a little less because, well, he's trying to shoot it through everyone. Well, sometimes that works, and sometimes that doesn't. All right, here's the here's the fun part with, with Krug, Krug at this point, and this is where it gets scary for people. We tried to look at this from even a daily fantasy standpoint, and the first thing that jumped out was the num the numbers from last year, uh, and it's like, wow, okay, the you know percents dipping, but nah, it's not. It, maybe it's just a blip. You know, his first full year, almost 8%. Second full year, almost 6%. Okay, there's a dip there, but the shots also went up. Last year, his shots actually jumped up to almost 250. If I'm a betting man and the guy's shooting around 5%, that's 12, 13 goals for a guy with almost 250 shots. He had four, four goals last year. Was it nice that he had 40 assists? Sure. That's great, but he had four goals. Now, for season long, it hurts because this is a guy that scored 14 and 12 his two previous years. It was kind of logical that, hey, he's probably going to be somewhere between 12 and 14 goals. And arguably, Boston last year had a better offense before all the injuries. And you figured, well, okay, 12 to 14 is on the low end. That's kind of reasonable. He ends up with four. This year... It's even worse. The assists aren't even there. His defensive game in particular has deteriorated, at least enough to where people are worried. But the funny thing is this. His possession game has actually gone up skyward. And that's where this gets honestly goofy with Boston. Because Bergeron was the same way uh, at, the, at the start of the year. His possession numbers actually briefly spiked. And then he had, did have that little bit of a groin issue and it leveled off. Krug's hasn't. Uh, Krug's, Corsi, and Fenwick, as a matter of fact, have gone up over 5% from last year. The relative has also gone up, which means Boston's possession numbers have also gone up by 
by 4%. So there hasn't been a necessarily a individual move, but just enough of one that it's noticeable. Here's the problem. On ice shot percentage, which even last year for uh, Krug was pretty solid, that's dipped off. Basically right around 8% his first three years, it's down to 5%. Look, his PDO is 97.8. That's low. Yeah, you expect it to be 100. You you would expect, at least with a guy, all right, at least with a guy like Krug, I'm expecting 101 and a half or 102. That's what he did his first three years was right around that number. And PDO's made up of shooting percentage and save percentage, and Tuka Rask has been holding up his end of the bargain. So if you just look at the on-ice shooting percentage uh, aspect of PDO, it must be even lower then. Okay, but the one thing maybe that is something that you can hope for is he's been better lately, right? In his last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games, he has all four of those points. That's the funny part. Um, And another encouraging thing for people, and we, we said this, he is shooting the puck more accurately he's missing less uh a matter of fact uh, two of the in a back-to-back of all things against montreal and buffalo he had 10 shots combined and only missed the net five times that's an extraordinarily high rate for a defenseman uh you know you're hitting your you're hitting the net two-thirds of the time uh, i'll take that every day and sunday uh, so there is hope here i mean it is a blunder it is a little bit low but in Krug's case, uh, projected for most cases across the board, about 14 or 15 goals and about 30 to 35 assists. He could still get there for goals if, obviously, he puts a few in the back of the net. The assists are a bit of a question mark. Uh, that's something this year that's been a little bit unexpected. He only has three assists on the year. Uh, even if he goes on a bit of a spike, maybe hits 25. So... That one, I would say, is a little low. He might see 35 to 40 points, but I don't see I, – I, I can't see him in the 45 to 50 range. And again, a lot of the publications are right on that number. So if, if you knock it down by about 10, that may be wh- where he winds up eventually at right. the end of the year. Well, basically, you're taking away – there was nine scoreless games to start the season. Yep. So obviously that's going to have an impact, and I guess it's going to be tied a lot to like if Petrice Bergeron heats up, then probably that'll help Tory Krug. If David Krejci heats up, that'll probably help Tory Krug. Like these Boston guys need to start scoring. Hopefully the loss of Louis Erickson isn't the reason for this dip in production for all these guys. I, I don't think it is because you have guys like Marshawn and Pat, you know, especially David Pasternak, who's been the biggest beneficiary of all this. We might get to him later. Just, huh. just, a, just a hunch. But he ironically may be the biggest beneficiary, and the reason why maybe some of the production has gone down with a few of these players from Boston is Pasternak is kind of in some ways a little similar to a guy, say, like Jonathan Marcheseau, except Pasternak is a little bit bigger, and when you anger him, he can hit you pretty hard, uh, as Dan Girardi has found out once or twice this season. But... Yeah, um, you know, going through these, it's it's getting a lot of fun, and then then you just get into the ugly uh, with with this list. Okay, well, I guess I won't comment on Pasternak since it sounds like he's going to be coming up a bit later. So, how about we go to number seven? <sighs> number seven was one I couldn't believe either, and I had I had really high hopes for him beginning of the season. This is the defenseman part of the show. 
or the defenseman not named Eric Carlson. So don't worry, <laughs> Eric Carlson's not on this list. He's far away from this list. Well, hey, he's not at a point per game so far this season. What a huge disappointment. Tell, ask my fiance that one. Where's my, where's my Carlson mandated point? I, I hear, I hear this a lot, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. But here's number seven. This is fascinating. How far has the career of Oli Mata fallen? Oh yeah, his career has fallen so far that we haven't even mentioned him on our podcast. For at least since like the second half of last season, maybe going into last season, we were talking about him as like, oh, should people pick him? Should they not? Now it's just assumed he's not fantasy relevant. Like I don't even think about Oli Mata ever. This is this is how much this is how much he dropped he dropped off. 2014, uh, actually 2015, 2016 per- projection. This is this is fun. He was projected to get 35 points. Really? Mm-hmm. And what did he actually get? Like 10? No, 19. <laughs> 19 because of partially because of injuries. So naturally, people were like, okay, well maybe there's there's some hope. No. <laughs> <laughs> this year, okay, they went down a little bit. They went down oh, most projections had him anywhere from 21 to about 28 points. And I did see one or two that were a little bit lower. As a matter of fact, even daughter hockey went down as far as to say maybe 16 or 17 points. A few of us looked at each other and went, could we go lower? <laughs> and that's that's scary. Uh, one was the fact that defensively he could not, could not be trusted all that much. He was making more and more mistakes. Some of that's from injury. Some of that we theorize is from post-concussion syndrome, but nobody can prove it. So you can never list it in a publication or, or any article of writing. You, you just can't. Um, it wouldn't be right with a clear conscience, but it's in the back of your head. And in this case, Mata has, get this this year, one point. One. Yeah, not uh, not too one. useful to your fantasy team. And like you say, if he's not even good defensively, I wonder how long he even sticks in the lineup. The, the only reason why he has as long of a leash as he does at this point, they're not going to put Justin Schultz in. They didn't trust Derek Pulley, I don't think, ever. So they're kind of stuck. I mean, it, it's unfortunate. Everything has gone down with him since that first year when he broke out. Look, you had, let's see, I think the injuries, you had the separated shoulder. You had the, what was it, the thing that they had to take out of his neck. You know, he's had he's had a few, he's had several concussions. And this year, just nothing. I mean, he is a plus four, but again, plus minus is about as overrated as you can get. Mm-hmm. And everything is trending down with him. His time on ice is almost three minutes off from his career high, which is his second year in the league. The only good thing that has come out of Mata season is that goalies that are on the ice when he is on the ice have a 952 save percentage at even strength this year. Okay, but could you give any credit to Mata for that, or is that just like a small sample size and luck? You know what? Normally I would say it has something to do with it, but because of his other numbers, nope. (laughs) And and this is why. His relative numbers to goals for and goals against are not that good. His Corsi and Fenwick relative numbers are not that good. They're actually in, they're actually well into the negative category, uh, anywhere from about three to four uh, percent. The on ice shooting percentage has dipped, which basically means there's not much really good 
as far as Mata. Yeah, I feel like this is the most airtime Mata's going to get on this podcast for the Ever. rest of the season. <laughs> Ever. So, all right, let's go on to number six. If you have only Mata in your league, that is a definite snoozer. And anyone who projected him, I guess, well, good for Dauber for putting him as low as he did. Yeah, I, I got to get, look, I got to give the guy credit. He comes up with some, de- uh, matter of fact, last year, I think according to the site Fantasy Refs, uh, Dauber Hockey was one of the top three sites when it came to fantasy hockey projection accuracy. Well, we're proud to be presented by Dauber Hockey. Amazing site. Okay, number six. This is where this is where it gets fun. We went we went a little controversial, maybe kind of, sort of, but not really. Brian Elliott. Mm. Yeah, I hear you. I want I, I want to cry because I I can remember many years of riding a late March run to fantasy hockey glory because nobody thought to pick up this guy who got called up from the minors that magically had a 945 save percentage over the final five weeks in St. Louis and, and bailed me out in so many leagues that I lost count. Uh, that's not happening this year for anybody. That, there, for anyone that has been dedicated enough to have Brian Elliott through the entire year, I salute you. Elliott currently leads the league right now in losses with eight. Mm. For perspective, those eight regulation losses – in 11 starts is the same amount of regulation losses he had last year in 38 starts. Oh, wow. It gets more scary from here, unfortunately. (laughs) His quality start percentage, or basically a nice way of saying the amount of starts where Elliott either was at or exceeded the average save percentage for a goalie is just 36% 36% in his time in St. Louis, he was at 66%. That's wild. So basically now it's like a one in three chance that if you start him, he'll be good. And like almost a two thirds chance that he's yep. going to blow the game for you and blow up your week. And I won't say he blew up a few leagues of mine in the first couple of weeks, but he might've <laughs> um, something also kind of funny in here and quirky. He hasn't faced that many more shots either. He's only he's faced less than 29 shots per 60 minutes. So it's not as if Calgary's giving up 40 shots a night and he has to be on his toes every night. Matter of fact, last five starts, he only saw over 30 shots once, and that was against L.A. To be fair, L.A. can do that to anybody. You know, he, he saw 39 shots. The other ones, though, 28, 21, 21, and 28. All losses, by the way. Of course. (laughs) But, again, and only one night out of those five where he even had a save percentage above 900. That's bad. Yeah, like, it's... I wonder even, like, what do you do at this point? Like, he started the year so bad. We were getting so many questions. Should people drop him? And then Brian was saying, kind of like, hold on. He needs to sort of get his feet. And then he went on, like, a nice little run. There was four straight games. Yep. We had four good games. And now he's back to three horrible games. And now it's like kind of even worse because Chad Johnson got a shutout yesterday and he's getting the second start today. So I don't even know how of a sure thing Elliot is to get starts moving forward. Like probably he'll get at least half the starts, but you know, Chad Johnson is making at least a small case for himself. Earlier in the day, and I had a laugh about this, I have to put out a few articles well before, before basically we call it before deadline. Um, And usually if there's like, a slate 
the schedule starts at 7:30, you have to have your article in by 1:30. And I'm sitting there, it's like I have a so- I have a soft deadline at 12:30 for NHL articles. You have to put the pictures in, you have to put the links in, etc., and you have to edit it for any last minute changes. I push it through at two o'clock. They announce, oh, Chad Johnson's starting. But Brian Elliott was likely and even listed on other sites as likely. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Go through, change through, look at tweet that went out for article, retweet it, change quote on it to reflect the goalie change. And it just hit me like, wow, this is how bad it's become in Calgary. Yeah, and it's going to get worse with Gojo injured now. <sighs> this is This is not going to be easy, but... There is one good thing about the Johnny Gaudreau injury, and God, I you know I know Gaudreau, I know him because he lives in my state of New Jersey, and I, I've seen him I've seen him play in enough midget and bantam leagues before he he hit it much bigger. Obviously, he will try and come back way faster, and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked if um, you know he comes back even a couple weeks sooner. But even then, Calgary cannot play even wor- any worse defensively at this point. They really can't. They're not give. It's not as if they're giving up a ton of shots and an immense amount of chances. Yeah, their possession numbers are crap. Everybody knows it. But this might get them to play a little more cohesive and a little less nervous. Um, nothing went right for Gaudreau and Monaghan to start the season, and even their points at home were so far off. They had a seventy percent production drop at home. I mean. Goudreau averaged 1.4 points per game at home last year and dropped. Dropped to 0.47. That's huge. I mean, that's basically a point a game or a goal a game that Brian Elliott isn't seeing in support. You add in the fact that the defensive pairings from Calgary's coach, which I, I still just... It would take too long to mention on the air. and just It's so bad that... If you if you go if you go on one of the, one of the sites out there and you look at say you know for pairings and you just look at it and you just shake your head and you ask yourself why Giordano and Brody aren't together and you just go down the rabbit hole from there but yeah definitely Elliot has to be I I actually almost had Elliot higher but only because Chad Johnson is actually eating into his starts I, I, I was a little bit merciful so what were the projections for Elliot. Interestingly enough, most of most people had him around a two five or two six goals against, and a save percentage between nine twelve and nine fifteen, which would be right about league average. Yeah, sounds about average. And honestly, if you got that kind of goaltending from Elliot, and say a few players were healthy and producing, they would be probably third or third or maybe even a wild card team in in the West. Because you get three teams in, and they might be able to sneak in a third. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. Yeah, so Elliot's <laughs> a bust. <laughs> Elliot is officially a bust. So is it official one. to you? Like, if people are, you know, seeing, let's say, uh, Connor Hellebuck still available in their waivers, or uh, or in the free agency, or like Steve Mason maybe was dropped in a lot of leagues. Like, is now the time where it's like, forget about it, just drop Brian Elliott and pick up one of these other starters? I'm I'm running the Hellebuck even if I only get fifty to fifty five percent of the starts at this point. I, I can't trust Elliot, and if Chad Johnson is eating into more and more of his starts, 
how is he going to get enough of his confidence back at this stage of the season? It's an, it's it's awful because now you have to face the decision. Oh, I got to go through the waiver wire, and if I have a really deep league, I'm almost certainly doomed because there's no goalies out there, and I'm praying for an injury for something to open up. Okay, let me give you a hard one then. I'm gonna, this is what I do to Brian, and he hates me. Let's say you have Brian Elliott. And yep. Let's say Cam Ward is available in free agency, someone who's always been way below league average, but he's actually on a nice little run now. Just got a shutout. Would you swap Elliott for Cam Ward right now? As hard as it is to believe, I would stream him for another week or two, and then I'd just start streaming the waiver wire until I could find somebody that sticks. Wow. Bummer. Bummer to anyone who drafted Brian Elliott. But you know what? I mean... You know, that, you have to blame yourself a little bit for drafting a Calgary goalie. When's the last time a Calgary goalie's been good? Is it Mika Kiprasov? That's about the... Maybe a little bit that... Yeah. Maybe Jonas Hiller for like seven-eighths of that year where they snuck into the playoffs. Before he crashed hard. Before he cr- he crashed even harder, arguably. Uh, because he was right around a 9.15 save percentage most of that year. He crashed at the very end. It brought it down to like a 9.12 or so. And then the playoffs, he just went blah. And never never recovered in Calgary from, from there on out. Right. As much as Brian thought that he would. <laughs> you know, That's a I keeping did, Carlson blunder right there. Uh, we, we, we've all done it. <laughs> I've done it so often that uh, I've done it this year, at least three or four times with players. And I, I regret every second of it. Um, well, I actually picked up Chad Johnson for a spot start tonight against Arizona. So hopefully he could do well. If not, I'll just drop him. And if he does well, maybe I'll hold on for a little bit, even though Calgary, like you said, I guess maybe with Gojo injured, like you're saying, maybe that's going to lead them to have to play more defensively. And so even if they lose, they'll get better uh, numbers for their goalies. Who knows? Let's go on. What are we on now? Like number six? We're on actually number five. We are into the top five. That's probably good because we've been talking for like 40 minutes already. (laughs) What else is that? I could talk hockey for hours, but all right. I went with this only because I, I, along with a lot of people, just expected this player to have a ton of goals this year, uh, given that Columbus had a, had a, extremely good top nine full of depth and you figured okay put up put up a bunch of shots he was healthy last year he had 30 goals in 82 games god he's got to come close to 30 goals this year right nope uh boone jenner is at number five yeah for the singular reason that through 14 games he has a grand total of one goal one goal four assists even like his shots are down, right? 28 shots. It's only two shots a game. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look two shots a game, right around 2.75 to 2.8 shots a game last year, missing a few more shots. Uh, again, they've tried, they tried him on the power. They've tried moving around. They tried finagling the lines. He's also playing two minutes a game less now because they can't trust them. The oddest thing in all of this is, the one thing that he's doing better than anything else is winning faceoffs. He's their best faceoff guy with a minimum of 20 faceoffs. I know it's not a huge number, but apparently he worked on that during the regulars, you know, last regular season and into training camp uh, all the way through. And that, that's worked at least, but nothing else. And it's tough because this was a guy that was pegged to be on the first line with Cam Atkinson. And these were two guys that were expected to come close to 30 goals together. You know, 30 goals each. And not even close. 
And every underlying number, when you look at it, isn't all that bad. On ice shot percentage is right around his normal numbers. His possession numbers are right about below average, like they always are. <laughs> it's not, it's not like he suddenly. But what's interesting in this is too. His expected goals for has cratered. It's just cratered, and that's partially because of start, and that's partially because he's been the victim of bad luck and bad defense, bad quote unquote defensive decisions that he's made. And that's what's led to the lower and lower totals across the board. And to me, the crazy thing also is Columbus is scoring a lot of goals. Like, it's not as if they're an offensive dearth and there's no chance to get goals. Like, they've had these eight goal games and these 10, that 10 goal game against Montreal. And in that 10 nothing win, he had one assist. And that was it. Nobody believes it. They're like, no, no. I'm like, if you go through it, one scoring chance, and it was a low danger scoring chance, it wasn't even what you would call a quality chance. Um, and you, and you go across the board and you're hoping, well, okay. And then you look at the projections and you got projections anywhere from 50 up to 62 points. I mean, even the 50 at this point, unless he really gets it going, we're not seeing that. No, I feel like at this point, if your league doesn't count hits, there's no reason to own him. And he's not even, like, delivering the hits, maybe, that people expected he would. Like, he's, I guess, got, he had four hits, like, a few games ago, and then he's been getting two the last couple of games, so something. But if your league doesn't count hits, I don't see a reason to hold on to Boone Jenner right now. Yeah, it, it's pretty ugly, and you, you start looking at, oh, well, what if I what if I adjust the point shares a little bit, I tweak this number, maybe, maybe something will come. It really hasn't. Uh, matter of fact, last game he played... Here we we go. The last two games, he played less than 13 minutes in both. So, yeah, it's hard to be a 50-point scorer with with that ice time. Yeah, and and that's two straight now. And actually, if you want to get really technical, for the last five games, he's barely played 13 minutes. Not a good sign. Yeah, I see he was playing with Dubinsky and Atkinson. So at least he's, like, on with decent line mates and not with, like, Josh Anderson and whatever, like Matthew Calvert, but, you know, who knows? That'll probably get shaken up. It's hard to really rely on anything, but you would have hoped at least some power play time. He's getting a little bit now, but like you Minimal. Said, if, he, if he's going to be less than 13 minutes a game and he's slumping, I feel like let someone else, you know, take a flyer on him, but I don't see why you need to keep him on your roster if there's decent free agents available. Exactly, and the scary part is these aren't even the worst, folks. All right. <laughs> All right, so we're into, we've cracked the top five now. Who's number four? Number four, and I, and again, another case of I, I didn't want to put this guy on here, but I kind of have to now because, well, yeah, I had to. Evgeny Kuznetsov. Oh, yes. I did a little mini rant about Kuznetsov at the end of our last episode, calling him a potential snoozer, and Brian was like, I'm not ready to go that far, but I, I think I might be. Okay, I have the hammer here. Snoozer. I like it. I yeah. think I don't see why not, right? Like he's not playing with good line mates. He's not producing at all. He slumped at the end of last year. Sure. He slumped in the playoffs. So I don't know. Like I just don't see a reason why people you know, so a lot of people are asking if they should buy low on him and being like, Oh, should I maybe like try to trade Tyler Johnson for him? I don't know. Like I just feel kinda like no. Like stick with who you have. Okay, we'll stick with the really primitive numbers first, just so everybody can see what kind of cratering has happened here. 
and then it will get progressively worse. Two goals, five assists, seven points in 15 games. Ow! <laughs> for for a guy that had 77 points in 82 games last year, even if he drops off and regresses to, say, 60 to 65 points, there is no way in Hades he drops off as much as he has everywhere else. He was averaging almost two and a half shots a game last year. This year, 1.4. I'm looking at his game log right now. It gets he, worse. He <laughs> hasn't had, like, he actually started the year pretty well. Like, everything you're saying, yes. you're giving him, like, too much credit. It's been, like, over 10 games, it looks like, where he hasn't had more than a shot. Yeah, it's actually the last 10 games. Not good. He has four shots in his last five. He has a grand total of four scoring chances in his last six games. This is a guy that was generating three, four chances a night last year at times. And we're talking medium and high danger chances, not these little like I shot it from 50 feet in the slot and it looked kind of good, but it didn't go in. Um, And worse, face-offs, it's gotten even, (laughs) that's dropped, plummeted. So he's lost confidence everywhere. His ice time has dropped over the last five games, too. He's under. He's right around, say, 16 and a half, actually a little bit less, a little bit less than 16 and a half minutes a game. His season-long ice time hasn't dropped too noticeably yet. Uh, you know, 24 seconds isn't really, but expect that to probably go down a little more over the next month because... There's no signs of stopping the slump here. Yeah, you're not going to give people reasons for hope for Kuznetsov? I would love to. I really do because I know so many people that had him. But there's not much. I'll give you one. I'll give you one. Okay. I'm looking right now at the line combos for today, like the game going on right now where Washington is getting creamed. Wait, no, sorry. Where Washington's creaming Pittsburgh. Creaming Pittsburgh. 4-0. Obviously no points for Kuznetsov, even though Washington scored four (laughs) goals. But it looks like... Kuznetsov has been playing with Ovechkin and Burakovsky. So if you're on a line with Ovechkin, I feel like assists should come. So that would be nice if they stick with that. And maybe they will since they are winning today. Okay, here is the evil meanie spoiler for the for all of this. Ovechkin has no points either. Today, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, so you... I'm not ready to give up on Ovechkin. At least he has how many shots? Right. Oh, actually, only one shot. What? I feel like these games also, when your team is ahead like 4 nothing. At, at that point, like, why even should Ovechkin stress himself out? Or maybe that's, like, a silly thing I'm saying. You know what, though? Part of it is kind of score effects to a point. Um, you, you would think that Pittsburgh would at least. And he doesn't have a reason to shoot that much more. But you, you look at between the two of them, Ovechkin has one shot on goal. Kuznetsov has zip. They played about the same amount of ice time, oddly enough. Yeah. So they're, on, they're both on pace to play about 18 and a half minutes. Today, so, you mean? today okay well whatever but if we zoom out at least ovechkin who also isn't like hasn't been like lights out this year but he has 11 points in 16 games and right and of course like seven goals so not too shabby not as many goals as patrick line but you know close enough but yeah kuznetsov not not close yeah it's it's not close and it's su- it's such a, it's such a noticeable drop for a guy that arguably is was a top 10 easily a top 10 or 15 fantasy player going into the year and he's basically rated somewhere in, oh, I don't know, the hundreds. So where were you projecting him going into this season? <sighs> I had I had him pretty high myself. Um, lower than most. I had him around 65 or 66 points. Yeah, which I feel like was conservative, probably. 
Yeah, and I was pretty conservative because I saw, well, let's see, we had anywhere from, yeah, on the low end, I saw some 65s. But I mean, like, uh, I feel like if you would have, like, if Dauber would have put Kuznetsov at, like, 50 points, I feel like he would have lost sales. Like, people would be like, I'm not going to buy this oh, guy's they, guy. Oh, they would have ride it. <laughs> They'd be like, he doesn't, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Exactly. I remember... There was another guy, I, I don't remember which one, there was like a couple seasons ago I saw Panarin projected for like 65 points or something. And I thought, who the hell's this? Like, these guys don't know what they're talking about. And, th- and they turned out to be right. Yeah, it was kind of, we, a lot of us knew he was going to be paired with Kane and we're like, oh, we saw the KHL numbers and we're like, oh boy, he's going to be better than we thought. Crap, 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 got to change this quickly. Uh, but no, I mean, you, you look at this and it's like, you go up and down and it's like, all right, for example, a couple sites had him over 80 points. Wow. One site had him at 87. That's, uh, that is a blunder. That is that you know if you if you see a few sites in kind of consensus that go okay at least eighty points and you see a guy right now on pace for about thirty five to forty I think he could maybe hit fifty oh but... he could hit fifty but that's still a lot lower than yeah so you're not saying buy low you're saying hope for a bit better if you have him I would hold on to him if you have him in the keeper league because you're basically functionally stuck with him. Uh, unfortunately, because that shot that shot rate is so low that people will just be like, nah, I'm not going to try and buy low on him because what if the shot rate sticks and you're stuck with a guy just basically eating <laughs> eating you out of house and home? Yeah. <laughs> All right. This has been a bummer so far. I thought you were going to give us some players who were doing well. We will. We will. Okay. We'll, 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 we'll get there. We have – remember, yeah. all, all these guys are blunders in some, some way or form. Sure. Some ha- Some have hope. Like especially Patrice Bergeron, I think Tori Krug has hope. I'll, I'll Krug, Krug has some hope, some hope. <laughs> uh, All right, so what do we have? Three left. We have three left, and this is this is one guy that definitely has. Ex- we'll go with one that has exceeded expectations. So we'll go for this in the sense of a blunder of why didn't you pick him up when we kind of told you to? Okay, I'm ready. It's obvious, Jonathan Marchessault. Ah, yes. All right. For those that don't know, being a sort of beat writer of the Devils, you admittedly follow prospects from teams that are across the river, whether you want to or not, sometimes. Okay. Marcheseau being one of them, he was in the range, you know, drafted by the Rangers. Well, actually, he was in the Rangers organization. Followed him through, kept wondering when is he going to get a chance. Yeah, he's a little diminutive, et cetera, but the guy's a scrappy player. Why isn't it's the Rangers? Eventually ends up in Tampa last year, has a little bit of success here and there, played very briefly on the Stamkos line when there were injuries. Tampa doesn't sign him in the offseason. Florida signs him for a dirt cheap deal under a million dollars, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, at least he'll get some third line time. Maybe his you know projections will be a little better. Well, Nick Bookstead and Jonathan Huberdeau both go down in in the preseason. Well, holy crap, he's going to be on the top line, isn't he? Well, that that was well after projections came out naturally. So, okay, I already have a booming player. I just don't know to what extent. Now, funny enough, and and this is this is the amusing part. There were people that were very bullish on Marcia so to start. 
Uh, the guys at Dauber Hockey were, they were right around 35 to 40 points with him. I was around 40 points with him because I thought, well, he's at some point going to see top six to ice time because every time you saw in the preseason, he was faster than just about every player he was going up against. That in itself, okay, if he has any kind of hands whatsoever, like I remember, he's going to put up points. Nobody could have expected what happened right away. Nobody. You know, being paired with Barkov and Yager, awesome. Yeah, even though when you look at Barkov and Yager's numbers, if you were to ask me to guess what the third guy on the line has, I wouldn't say 14 points in 16 games. I'd say less than Barkov, who only right. has eight. But no, like Marshall's the one leading the team in points. Yeah, here, here, here's some of the fun numbers. And yeah, I know they're ridiculous. Okay, obviously seeing four and a half more minutes than his career average. Duh, he's playing on the first line. I would hope so. Um, but there were some underlying numbers that at least you could look at. Even in limited time, he had over two shots two shots a game for his career. Um, his goal rate was about one every four games. And and that that rate was decreasing. Usually when that rate decreases, that's that's good. Uh, that's that's something you you at least want to say. Mm-hmm. His zone time was always consistent and his possession numbers were always solid and his expected goals for was always solid. It's just he never got that chance. Even last year, oddly enough, he only played tw- he only played 12 minutes a night in Tampa. Yikes. A lot of talent on that Tampa team. A little a lot of talent and he was stuck on a really bad line. So it made his not it, it made his 18 points in 45 games look worse because his possession numbers dipped being paired with guys like Brian Boyle. Mm-hmm. That's no fun for anybody. But you look you looked at the start this year and went, okay, I see 40 points. Second slash third line forward goes up to the first line. I'm immediately going, okay, 50 points. People on Twitter, what? <laughs> 50 points. He's on the first line. He is the slashing player that that line needs. Fast forward to now. He has, like we said, 14 points in 16 games. Here's the problem and the dilemma. If you notice, if people have noticed, watched enough Florida games, yeah, I know. This is where it's good to have a center ice or game center package. He is being double shifted with Vincent Trocek quite a bit. Trocek's playing 20, 21 minutes a night. And very often when Florida is down, they will pair these two guys together because it's, it's like, it's, it's like watching little, little speed mites on ice. It's like, it's ridiculously fast and yeah, it's fun to watch. So look, has Marcheseau's numbers come down a little bit over the last five or six games? Yeah, a little bit, but the chances haven't. He's look, he had five hits in his last game against Montreal. He can provide you hits occasionally as well, every so often. Look, it's not earth-shattering. It's not something that you're going to go, oh, my God, i got to pick him up for that. No. But the numbers are there at least. And i I got to think that whenever Huberdeau does come back, a line of Marcheseau, Trocek, and Jokinen is going to be extremely dangerous and maybe more dangerous than the top line. Do you think that Riley Smith gets bumped to line three? <sighs> Unfortunately... It's a very distinct likelihood. They, they cannot bump Marcheseau to the third line at this point. How could you? Yeah. He's their best player. Yeah, he's not only leading in points, he's also 49 shots, like leading in shots. Leading in shots, leading in scoring chances. Yeah, he's not missing the net like he was last year. Um, his face-off percentage is, is improved because of his 
tutelage under some guy named Iserman, <laughs> um, who actually would take time from his busy GM role and tutor the guy with faceoffs. So, I and obviously, if you look at the projections out there and you see, okay, 35 to 40 points up. Right. Up. <laughs> but now, let's say if you have Marcia So in a league, like, what do you do with him? Are you trying to sell high? Like, I don't think he's going to continue to have a pace of 14 points in 16 games and end up with like 70 plus points. Right. You can try to sell high at this point. The problem is, it depends on how high you're trying to sell. Yeah. Like, where do you see him landing? Yeah, right now, you figure, ranking-wise, he's somewhere in the top 15, especially among, especially among centers. He's de- top 10. You know, it just it depends on what he's positioned in in your league. He's probably a top 10 center, and he's probably close to a top... Well, he's, yeah, he's probably top 10 winger as well. You, you know what? If you, can, if you could try and steal, say, a high-end center, yeah, I'm going for it. I really am at this point. I, I can't. I can't see his value is not going to get higher right now, at least right now, and that's partially because of the two line mates slowing him down to a point. Yager flat out came out to the press several times in the last week and said he's too fast for us. <laughs> he he needs to he needs to cycle more and play to our game. You've got a thoroughbred here that has speed to burn. I want to put him on a line with speed. And I think at some point that may happen. Perhaps maybe they sneak Riley Smith onto the first line. It, it's it's not likely, but they have to do something. Even Trocek is starting to suffer a little bit offensively. And Trocek does a lot. And Trocek leads, the team, leads forwards in ice time. And he needs somebody that can take a little bit of a load on him and play at his level. And Marcia so is that guy. I mean... This is a $750,000 player right. that is an absolute bargain in every sense of the word. So, you know, he's exceeded ex- expectations already, and I think you'll still exceed them. It's just if you have a window to sell high right now, you do try it. Okay, so here, one more tough question about Marsha So before we move on. Who do you think is going to get more points moving forward for the rest of the season, Marsha So or Alex Barkov? <laughs> Wow, and that's tough because you're obviously trying to hedge when Huberdeau's coming back and when one of these guys is going to start get, to get going. Um, let's see, if you do the math and you figure Marcia is going to get about another 36 points, is Barkoff going to rebound and get th- as many points? The answer is barely yes. I do have hope that Barkoff you know, still ends up around 50 points. So I have to say yes by just a little bit. All right. Yeah, I think that seems fair. But it's even the fact that Marsha so you have to think about it obviously yep. shows how high you are on Jonathan Marsha so or maybe how low you are on Barkov compared to maybe what a lot of people thought going into the season. All right, so we're into the top 2 now. Uh we it's it's getting fun and exciting. Uh <laughs> the last two are guys that definitely have exceeded expectations and I I would love to see if they can ex- keep exceeding them and not just because they're prominently on many of my season-long fantasy hockey teams. Uh, okay, well, I think you already hinted at one of them. I did hint at one of them, who may be one, number one, perhaps. Okay. Uh, just just a hunch. Sorry, I'm taking away the drama here. That's okay. There's there's still definitely some drama to be had here. No, numero, numero, numero dos, Patrick Lane of the Winnipeg Jets. Wow. 
And he had high expectations. He did have high expectations, but I have not seen a one-timer wrist shot like his since Joe Sackick. Period. And I'd I'd make a case that Lon A's is even more scary. Man. Yeah, I'm really regretting not picking him up in, like, any of my leagues. Like, I don't know, like... For some reason, I was like, let other people take the rookies, but clearly a mistake. You weren't the only one. Um, look, a lot of projections had him around the same same totals, right around 50 to 55 points. Some did have him right near that elusive 30-goal mark that he guaranteed uh, before the start of training camp, and maybe a few other times, like during the draft <laughs> in July. In August, in September, hey, I'm as good as Austin Matthews is goal-wise. Believe me, I heard all the quotes. A lot of them are really good, too, and in high-grade material. Um, the kid kid is not afraid to speak his mind. Um, well, he's backing it up. He, he's not only backing up. And look, he has 11 goals. He had 11 goals through 14 games. Last time I saw somebody from Winnipeg have close to that, yeah, some guy named Tamus Solani. Right. Look. Even at 11 goals in 14 games, he's not on pace for 76 and 82. So we can, we can throw that out. But he is on pace for over 60 goals, which I know, again, not going to happen. It just isn't. Oh, yeah. Now he's up to 18 games. So Now he's up to 18 games. But to be fair, I mean, even if, say, he gets, oh, I don't know, 35, 40, I'm, I'm, not, immense, I'm not immensely shocked. And I know people that are even saying right now, no, 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 he's still going to be right around 28 to 30 or 31 goals. There is, there is arguments for it. I know it's hard to believe, but you know, right now he has 12 goals in 18 games. So he has two goals for every three games. There's concerns, no doubt. Look, Winnipeg is an, is an enigma, wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a puzzle, wrapped in an enigma. <laughs> You never quite know which Winnipeg team is going to show up. And if if you can predict it more than, say, two out of three times in a week, I want to know what the Powerball numbers are for tonight because it's Mm -hmm. about $290 American, and I could use it. Um, But all all joking aside, the only thing that concerns me heavily about Lane is every so often, and I've noticed it, last four games in particular, just seven shots on goal. I noticed a little, he goes into little lulls where he kind of disappears. Now, to be fair, there's two games in there where he played over 20 minutes and one game where he played almost 22. So he is going to hit a wall at some point, or what I like to call little walls in the season. And then eventually he may hit a bigger one later in the year. But if he keeps playing with Mark Scheifele, it may not be all that bad. I like the fact that he has an absolute laser on the power play. That's going to help his totals a lot. It's going to help buoy him through a lot of... It's going to keep a big slump from happening, more than likely. He's not going to go on a 12 or 13 game streak where he only has like one or two points at at this juncture. Because unless he plays so bad that he's taken off the top two lines... You just have to have him in at this point for at least 60 points. You just do. I mean, even even if the final 64 games, say he gets 45 points, and that's you know that's a drop off basically of you know a good bit. You know that's almost a quarter of a point off from his current rate right now. He's averaging 0.94 points per game. 
If he drops to 0.7, yeah, he's still getting 60 points. The highest projection I saw was 56. So yeah, good money says he's going to beat all the projections for sure. Good, yeah, good. You know, it's a good likelihood that he's going to beat the projections. It's funny. One of the goal projections that they had for him was 31 goals and only 16 assists. Now that ratio might be fair. It's just he might end up with say like 40 and 20, 40 and 20, yeah, or something to that effect. But it's kind of goofy. There was one or two sites that had about a two to one goals assist ratio. If you look at everywhere else, it was almost near even. And I'm thinking to myself, the guy's a goal scorer. How is this possible? But some some went there, and so far he he's been excellent. And I don't see him. I see him slowing down at times, but not as much as maybe people would think. I I, I love his ability for for the clutch, though. That's just goes without saying. He's had two hat tricks so far this year. So, I mean, on one hand, that's amazing. And you could like win a week, you know, just by having line A in for one of his hat tricks, maybe on the downside, once you take away those two games, but I don't know if that's fair to do, but if you were to take away like those two games, his numbers look like, you know, a lot more reasonable or in line with those projections. Yep. If you, if you take, if you take away his two big games where he had basically seven points, he still has 10 points in 16 games. Yeah. Not too shabby. And obviously has a good bit of shots. And the funny part is you take those two away and you take the shots and he's shooting at about 13%. So it's not that far off. And yeah, you have a player that's projected to be shooting at 16 to 20% anyway, at the very least. Right. So we expect a high shooting percentage. I expect a high shooting percentage because to be honest, he is a little more selective with his shots and his chances. I mean, people have noticed this, it's, especially on the power play. He will hesitate to pull the trigger if that shot's not right. And sometimes it backfires horribly. I, I saw a shorthanded goal against because of it. It's something that he should have probably taken a three-quarter shot on uh, that would have at least hit the net. And he, he tried to pull back. Puck was stalled and led to a two-on-one goal. But he's just too good. I, I'm with you. Like, uh, obviously those projections were too low and I think I fell into it. Like I said, so before we get to number one, I, I got to ask you the other Winnipeg jet that's been, I guess, surprising Mark Shifley with 21 points in 18 games tied for the lead league in points right now. What would you say the probability is that he wins the Art Ross this year? Wow. I mean, because of a couple guys that are down, I would say it's still low just because you have, you well, know, you have the Crosby's of the world. Um, but you know what? I think he's going over 80 points. Wow. I really do. I mean, again, there's a lot of places that had him in the high seventies for points, you know, anywhere from the low seventies, you know, 70 to 80 points was pretty common. Okay. So at least this wasn't a blunder. People were calling it. People were calling this. I mean, I do think he goes a little higher just because. It's funny. His projected ice time is a good minute to a minute and a half lower than what he's currently playing. So, um, and his power play ice time is above three minutes. Was above three minutes a night. Does this have to do with Brian Little being injured? I think it partially does. I think in some ways Lil might have. I don't want to say this. Arguably slowed him down a little bit because look, Little had been riddled with injuries in, in the preseason anyway, and. You know, plays one game, gets hurt. It may be kind of a blessing at this point that that Little did get hurt because it shows what kind of top six that Winnipeg actually has. I mean, when you could put Nick Patan in, 
in your top six and he doesn't miss a beat. When you could put Marco, Marco Dano in your top six and he has five points in eight games. <laughs> I mean, there's some talented players in Winnipeg. Paul Maurice is being forced to play him because of, of certain injuries. And it may not be a bad thing. The only bad thing, obviously, with it, though, is this. All these points that Shifley and Lane are getting are translating into a poor, sad player defenseman on Winnipeg who has less goals than a lot of people, and that would be Dustin Bufflin. Oh, yeah, zero. But, <laughs> zero, but eh, those, will, those will come. I mean, Bufflin has 50-plus shots on goal, and it's, it's, it's bound to start happening eventually. I hope so. I have him in a couple of leagues. It's been a bit disappointing, I have to say. Also, Blake Wheeler, he's doing fine. It's pretty funny that he's fourth in team scoring right now behind Shifley, Lina, and Ehlers. Can anybody believe that? No. (laughs) Did anybody have that going in? No, because Wheeler was another guy that was projected at least 65, 70 points easy. Yeah, and he's he's not far off. 13 points in 18 games, so obviously a lot of scoring happening. A lot of scoring to go. And they are top six centric to a point, so you kind of expect it. But yeah, on to numero uno. Uh, I've been looking forward to this one all all night, actually. (laughs) Well, here we are. Just, just, Just because... Some of the numbers from last year were so ridiculously off on this guy. That's um, like, there's no way this guy is playing 14 minutes a night th- this year. Uh, he's too go- he's too good in training camp, and he was so dangerous even during during the World Cup of Hockey that I, I, it was unfortunate that he got injured when he did during it. Because basically, they just pulled him out, and they're like, "Oh, you have a you have a minor groin tweak," and they just yanked him. It was that simple, actually what happened to our number one guy, David Pasternak, most affectionately known in Boston as pasta. Just because, yeah, his hair really, it's, yeah, it really does flow like pasta. (laughs) Um, But there's just something about his game that screamed, "Oh, oh, dear God, it's a breakout. It's going to happen. And you're going to enjoy it. I mean, even last year at times, he was pretty dominant. I mean, he had 15 goals in 51 games last year on what would amount to be pretty limited ice time. And we kept wondering last year, okay, is he going to see 15 minutes of ice time in my lifetime or in Boston for that matter? <laughs> Thankfully, you know, the little injury to Bergeron early in the year and that first game against Columbus where everything just went on fire. And he, he just, he really hasn't stopped. Um, the funny thing is he has less shots than Patrice Bergeron. They're averaging right about the same amount of shots per game, as hard as hard as it is to believe. Now, to be fair, Bergeron missed a couple games. So did Pasternak because of a suspension that eh, we don't have time to get into that either. Uh, <laughs> just one of those. But I mean, he has 14 points in 14 games. He has 10 goals though. Yeah, and you look at the game log; it's like just a goal pretty much every game. Like they're all one goal games, aside from that first one. Yeah. It's like goal, 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 goal. <laughs> and, and he has a ton of chances, too. I mean, look, I know his ice time does dip a little bit. You, you'll see a lot of fluctuations in his ice time, and that's mostly because of power play and game flow with Boston. Uh, it, it's just a product of it and nothing more. So, you know, you look and see, oh, he only has like a little under 16 and a half minutes a night of ice time, but that's okay. I, he's the type of player that, I don't want him necessarily playing 19, 20 minutes a night if I can avoid it. Uh, will he occasionally? Yeah, he did against just recently against Montreal. 
but most of the time you're going to see him in that high 15s to low 16s a night. And don't expect him to win a lot of face-offs if he's pressed into doing it. That's not going to happen either. Ever. <laughs> just, just don't, you know, don't, don't even think about silly things like that. And just worry about the fact that the guy has an awesome shot on the power play. And always is, he's always in front of the net. It's ridiculous. He's just, I'm trying to remember who said it from Montreal the other day. I think it was Max Pacioretty actually said, one minute you see him, and the next minute he's by you and he scored. (laughs) He he doesn't have super game-breaking speed. He just has this ability on, he sees the ice well. I think Patrick Elias kind of joked, he's like, if 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 I was just if I was just a little bit younger, that's that's how I saw the ice at, at his age, and he's only, God, he's only twenty years old. I mean, that's what's scary about this, and that's why a lot of projections were br- even breaking him out this year. But it was mo- it was modest. I mean, I, I looked at this and I was like, well, okay, you know, 50, 50, 52, 54, Saw like a forty seven, and I'm thinking I'm thinking to myself. No, <laughs> 60, 65. If he's playing on the top line, he's probably getting close to Marshawn light projection points, which I figure was low to mid sixties anyway. And the only thing that's been kind of disappointing with Boston this year is the power play. Oddly enough, which you would have thought would have been more of a strength. It, it is coming around a little bit, especially with their power play chances and such. That makes you think at least a little bit with him. What do you mean? Well, for example, when the even strength numbers start to drop a little bit, are the power play numbers going to go up? I mean, right now, Pasternak's shooting at a little over 20%. So that's going to go down, probably. That's going to go down a hair. But at the same time, if you look at his shot percentage numbers through his first two seasons, they've gone incrementally up. So if 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 you just play dumb math and look at it that way, oh, he should shoot at least 17% this year. Well, that's not too far off from from almost 21. And maybe arguably because he's getting more ice time, maybe that number doesn't go down to 17. Maybe he only goes down to 18. I mean, there's look, Adam Henrique shot at around 20% last year. I know it's a bad example because Henrique shoots less. But there are players that naturally can be around 19 or 20% through an entire year. It's not as if it's entirely impossible. And Pasternak is kind of a hybrid guy where I expected him to easily top 200 shots this year. And so far, he's averaging three and a half shots a game. So maybe even 250 is conservative, uh, potentially for him. You know, if he plays all, if he plays 80 games, you would figure he could end up with as many as 280, almost 280 shots. Now, is that going to happen? Probably not. But say, could 250 or 260 happen? Sure. And by math, if he's shooting even 17, 18%, that's translating to almost 37, 38, even maybe 40 goals. Even if he goes a little bit lower than that, you figure the assist will come up because in his career they have. And you're looking at probably very close to a 30, 30 guy easily. And maybe even say 40, 30 if, if things break right. And that's why his his projections are just so much more than even what the high-end guys were saying. 
for him at the start of the year. All right. So then maybe do you want to make a call? Who do you think is going to end up with more goals and more points at the end of the year between Pasternak and Patrick Laine? Oh boy, can I hedge here? <laughs> <laughs> I want to hedge badly. Um, but you know what? If I don't, if I don't make a call here, you, you get in trouble and, and you go to the box for two minutes and feel <laughs> shame. Um, I, I will, I will take Patrick Laine for points. All right, you heard it here first, but obviously you're clearly very high on Pasternak and Line A and down on all of these other guys that you put on the list. This has been intense. This has been great, Chris. I did not expect to be talking to you for over an hour and a half tonight. No, and and the funny part was what I did originally when I started going through this uh, about, about a week ago, I have a list of about, let's see, I have 10 guys that were literally free agent or trade blunders. I have five guys that were free agent or trade booms. And then I have basically a list of about 25 to 30 fantasy hockey duds. And some of these are just really bad. I mean, well, for example, just the Vancouver goalies alone. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Vancouver goalies, Calgary goalies. There's a few Calgary goalies. <laughs> well, I mean, I couldn't put I couldn't put Johnson and obviously Elliot was a free agent slash trade. So you know, I, I, I grouped them in there. Uh, Steve Mason, although I have Steve Mason as a very good buy low candidate right now, just because he doesn't have Mikhail Neuwirth looking over his shoulder for about six weeks. So I, I do think that that does boost him. And you saw it last night. He did look better last night for a change. I know that late goal was a, yeah, I, I know that late goal was bad, but you know, still, he, he looked he looked a little more composed, not looking over his shoulder as much. You're not alone in thinking that. My podcast co-host was also very high on Mason on Sunday. You have to be at this point. Because, I mean, you know, two years ago, he was around 926, 8%. Last year, he was darn close to 920, except for a little bit of a late flop. I mean, you have to think that he even comes up to 915 at some point. And that means basically that he has to play 925 hockey the rest of the way. So, yeah, I mean, it's doable. It's yeah. not. It's not as if it's it's out of the realm. But I mean, we didn't even get to some of the worst. The worst, you know, because we had to include positive guys as well. I mean, we we, we neglected to mention Mikkel Boddicker, who has just two goals on the year, and that's it. He goes in the Olimata group. Like we don't even need to talk yep. about him anymore. Just forget yeah. him. Yeah, we have him in the Mata group. We have Andrew Ladd teetering on the Mata group yeah. with, with just three points. And off the Tavares line, which was the whole reason to be excited about him. And and, and the and the meme one I had to throw in just because he was traded from New Jersey. Uh, Adam Larson is actually producing worse than he did in New Jersey. Yeah. And he's in a better offensive, supposedly a better offensive situation. And Edmonton can't keep the puck out of the net anymore. You know, it's, it's funny. His numbers are, are are still solid defensively, but there's underlying numbers that it, it could blow up at any time. And that's what's happened. That's why Edmonton has dragged back to just about 500. It's simply because you could see it's like, wait, 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 wait. It's like, wait a minute, Cam Talbot's at what save percentage? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> it will come back. I mean, Talbot will, ba- Talbot will bounce back. He's that type of goalie. Uh, but you're going to see this a lot during the season. You'll see a 15-game stretch where Talbot is a 925-930 goalie, and then Edmonton's defense will catch up to its uh, team defense will catch up, and he'll be an 895 or 900 goalie for a 15-game stretch. And then he'll go up, and then he'll go down, up and down. And he'll probably be right around league average by the end of the year. 
Well, comforting for Talbot owners. Hopefully the up is coming soon. Man, we can, we can keep talking. We got to end this because I got to edit this yep. interview so we can get it out sometime. <laughs> but okay, right. this has been great. Like people probably have a lot of ways. Obviously you're on Twitter at Chris Wassel DFS. Am I pronouncing your last name right? Wassel, Wassel? Wassel. Yeah, you got it right. Right on the first try. All right, sweet. Chris Wassel, W-A-S-S-E-L-D-F-S. And then I guess you also, like you said, running that other Twitter account, Injury Ninja. Yeah, that's that's one that just no. I, look, I I put this out as a joke a few several years ago. It's just like, eh, you know, I'll put it out, see what happens. And now we get beat writers going, oh no, I, I see that ninja ninja avatar. This means bad. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so yeah, it's it's caught on in its own little way. And you know, if we can get a few more followers on it, and it's pitiful. I have like ten thousand followers on Twitter. This little injury ninja count has like 400, but yet everyone knows about it. It's like urban legend. Uh, well, now maybe some Keeping Carlson listeners can follow. Anything else you want to tell people about before we end the interview? Uh, basically, folks, uh, also you can find me over at uh, uh, FanVice spouting off uh, daily daily fantasy advice for, for those needs where you know you need a player or two and it's a, va- you know, a value play and such. Or... You're on a short slate because I love playing on nights where there's only two or three or four games that no one else does, especially come playoff time. If you need help, look, just go on my Twitter account, ask me a question. It may be 3 a.m. you have a question. I may be up for all I know just because I'm working that much. So well, That's handy. <laughs> there you go. And people, if you're tweeting at us and we don't answer, you got a second option here. You go to Chris or just go to Chris and us right at the same time. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me. I'm going to have a lot of fun listening through this and editing and getting this out. I think the listeners are really going to enjoy it. I hope they have a lot of fun with it and have a good laugh occasionally. Hopefully they don't grill me too badly later in the season if some of these don't quite pan out. Uh, Well, I think we're definitely going to have to get you back at some point to maybe a mid-season update or something to see how these players are doing. Or maybe you could give us a new top 10. Uh, we, we always we always have, have a top 10 at our disposal. Awesome. Okay, well, yeah, great talking to you. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much and have a good night.